Chapter Thirteen of Armand Durand by Rosanna Le Proen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Lamps were lighted and curtains drawn early in the comfortable drawing room of the manor house at Alonville, for the evening was wet and windy and leaning thoughtfully back in the depths of the largest and softest of easy chairs sat gertrude de beauvoir a strip of embroidery on her lap wools and canvas on the table beside her and books and newspapers at her feet betokened she had turned from one employment to another without finding much interest or amusement in any her reverie was interrupted by the entrance of victor de montenay who apparently undisturbed by the coldness of his reception he had by this time grown accustomed to her wilful ways drew another easy-chair towards her and seated himself have you heard about the latest marriage he questioned after a short exchange of commonplace phrases no well that very handsome clever good-for-nothing armand durand has at last married the pretty little sewing-girl with whom he has been flirting so long the speaker bent a covert penetrating look on his companion but she stooped even whilst he spoke to raise a fashion-plate that lay at her feet and when he again caught a glimpse of her face it was calm as that of a statue the news does not seem to interest you much gertrude why should it i know him very little her not at all let us turn then to topics nearer home when is our own marriage dearest to come off i am sure i have no idea except that it will not be for a long time and she half closed her eyes as if the topic wearied her but that is not a just or generous answer to my question it is really the best i have to give he angrily pushed back his chair and said gertrude it is time to have done with childish folly time to ratify at the altar the engagement between us think how long and faithfully i have waited bearing all the while with your indifference and caprices be just now and answer me the answer i fear will not be a pleasant one victor do not insist on my giving it but i must have it i cannot i will not be put off any longer from month to month from year to year i entered this room to-night resolved not to leave it without an explicit definite reply since you will have it so i will speak frankly then i fear that you and i are too dissimilar in sympathies and opinions to permit us ever to be happy together gertrude you are not serious you are surely only saying this to try my patience as you so often do for once no was the rejoinder i was earnestly reflecting on the subject when you entered and thinking how i could best make my determination known to you de montenay sprang to his feet and vehemently exclaimed you surely do not dare to say that after having kept me so long dangling in your train you intend to prove false to your promises now what promises you know well that after the last grand eclaircissement we had together it was formally settled that we were both free entirely released from our previous engagements so perhaps in words but not in reality think you i want to be taunted everywhere with having been jilted by you 
you can say you jilted me if you like it better and i will never contradict you tis no fault of mine that you have persistently followed my footsteps without receiving for months past any encouragement from me ah i would much rather be sneered at now than pitied later as a miserable wife you are growing sentimental and de montenay's lip curled tis not in your line miss de beauvoir and does not become you certainly not she retorted with an angry flash of her dark eyes nor is it in my line either to sit tamely down and listen to any one talking to me as you are daring to talk now ah what a happy couple we would make she sarcastically added our life one long unceasing warfare at least he interrupted we have the advantage of knowing each other's faults now instead of finding them out after marriage there will be no mutual accusations of deception in our case because we neither of us have self-command sufficient to conceal our faults was the retort our characters are too undisciplined for that this is childish trifling gertrude pray be reasonable and let us speak as sensible man and woman not like a pair of quarrelsome children i have given you my final definite answer i am sorry for your sake but no recriminations or entreaties will ever win another from me if such is really your determination you are a heartless unprincipled flirt no one knows better than yourself victor the injustice of that accusation have i ever pretended to feel love for you have i not rather by my persistent coldness plainly proved i entertained no such sentiment and have i not repeatedly endeavoured though always overruled to end this entanglement which was forced as it were on me when i was too young to decide on so important a point all nonsense miss de beauvoir retorted de montenay stung almost to madness by this frank avowal probably you have fallen in love with some more favoured individual than myself indeed i half suspected you of a fancy for that preux chevalier armand durand though apparently he has not reciprocated the sentiment how dare you forget yourself thus queried gertrude with flashing eyes why young people what is all this said the soft clear accents of mrs de beauvoir as she swept into the room her rich dress rustling with every movement i declare you are quarrelling with as much acrimony as if you were man and wife already that i fear we will never be rejoined de montenay sullenly at least if i am to trust the explanations which miss de beauvoir has just favoured me ah uh, a lover's quarrel i see i must say you have had a fair proportion of them but courtship would really be insufferably insipid if not enlivened by something of the sort here the speaker carefully adjusted the cushions of the sofa on which she had seated herself casting however a quick covert glance in the direction of the belligerents tis more than a lover's quarrel mrs de beauvoir tis a formal intimation from your daughter that she will not fulfil our engagement that she definitely rejects my hand the elder lady's cheek reddened and her white fingers involuntarily tightened on the cushioned tassel with which they were playing 
but with great outward calmness she replied and you really believe her victor ah tis her turn to-day it will be yours to-morrow to-night she will probably cry herself to sleep grieving over her folly and longing for the morrow to bring about a reconciliation gertrude's lip curled superciliously but she made no reply whilst de montenay taking his cap moodily rejoined i will say good evening ladies for i have borne as much to-night as i possibly could bear few men would have endured as much with this he abruptly left the room mrs de beauvoir waited till she heard him descend the stairs and the hall door close upon him then shutting the door of the drawing-room she approached her daughter and said do you tell me that you have actually refused de montenay yes mamma i have and why may i ask is he not good enough for a young lady eating the bread of charity fed clothed by her uncle's bounty gertrude's delicate cheek reddened for pride had a fair share of rule in that young heart and she impetuously answered yes i did refuse him and i would refuse him if i were begging from door to door from what novel is that taken or is it a flight of your own imagination please listen to me mamma i now formally confirm what i have just told de montenay never never will i be his wife but you have no alternative child you know as well as myself the struggling poverty from which your uncle de courval's generosity rescued us you cannot have forgotten the narrow shabby lodgings in quebec in which we were living after your father's death when his welcome letter arrived well did you find that life of privation so pleasant that you want to return to it there is no question of our doing so mamma uncle makes us welcome and he has ample means granted but he may die and he has other relatives who may confidently expect their share in his wealth another thing he may marry again and then what will become of us nothing for you but to go as a governess and for me perhaps to make handsome dress caps instead of wearing them gertrude you must forget this sudden madness that has taken possession of you and marry at once for i see in your case the proverb delays are dangerous is doubly true but mamma i cannot i will not do so and the little foot rapidly beat the ground oh if you knew how the schoolgirl feeling of admiration that i entertained for victor when i first came out in society soon gave way to indifference that has deepened in its turn to positive dislike gertrude i hitherto have stooped to reason and persuade now i will command listen child i enjoin you under pain of my severest displeasure to fulfil your early engagement with de montenay you will not surely set me at defiance mamma you have given me my own way so long that it will not do to tighten the reins so suddenly marry victor i never will so cease to worry me and let there be peace again between us god help me 
said mrs de beauvoir an inexpressible accent of bitterness piercing through the conventionality of tone and manner which until then had never varied i have brought up a daughter who forgetful of what she owes both to me and herself mocks at my counsels and laughs my authority to scorn a sudden feeling of remorse awoke in gertrude's breast for she saw her companion's emotion was sincere and throwing her arms round the latter's neck she whispered forgive me mamma i am so sorry for having grieved you thus prove it then by obeying me coldly rejoined mrs de beauvoir as she unwound her daughter's arms from her neck and left the room god help me too sobbed the impetuous girl as she flung herself in a paroxysm of passionate sobbing back in her chair worried tormented as i am on every side and my own undisciplined heart the cruelest tormentor of all Gertrude de beauvoir's nature was a noble and generous one but tares had grown up thickly in her impetuous character under the mismanagement and counsels of her shallow worldly mother and now the harvest time was an exceeding bitter one heartsick wretched she stole to her room and after long hours sobbed herself to sleep to awake next morning self-willed and imperious as ever End of chapter thirteen